something from the heart. Something special, girl. It's my dick in a box. My dick in a box, babe. It's my dick in a box. Ooh, my dick in a box, girl. Hey, welcome everyone to another episode of Damsels in Discussion where we look at pop culture from a funny feminist and foul mouth perspective. Tonight, we're talking about the season finale of Game of Thrones and the latest episode of Mad Men. We only have two episodes left after this, so uh, we're rolling towards some climaxes. Sounds a little like we're talking about orgasm. Yeah, I like it. (laughs) (laughs) What the hell? Okay. I'm Teresa Schechter in Brooklyn. I'm Shannon Bowen in Oakland. And I'm Brandi Sperry in Los Angeles. All right, should we start with the finale of Game of Thrones? Yes. We start right where we left off, outside the Red Wedding. Uh, We get to see what happened to Rob's body, which is quite horrific. And unfortunately, Arya sees it as well. Um, Terrible. Yeah, the direwolf's head spiked onto his body. I mean, just, yeah, it's really terrible. Um, I was surprised that we hadn't skipped ahead in time, but um, I guess this is probably some of the stuff that was cut out from last week as far as the books go. Yeah, I was really glad that they continued it because one of the things, one of the issues I had last week with the Red Wedding was, personally, I didn't think it was horrific enough. And that's because they had left this stuff out. So I'm really glad that this episode opened with it so we could be reminded of how completely horrible the whole thing was. And especially, yeah, the direwolf head is um, just the most disturbing idea. Yeah, it's pretty gross. And I do love that when they stumble upon the men that they're talking about who sewed the the wolf's head on. I mean, really, it was like, what is the worst thing they could be talking about? Either killing her mother or sewing the wolf head on. So that was a good choice of dialogue. And then she stabs him to death, which was pretty intense. Yeah. yeah. Go, Arya. Go, Arya. Her first kill. I mean, even the hound is like, is this your first yeah. person that you've killed? I mean, I where is she going? I I like the thought that went into this because... Her first kill is really significant because she's been talking about killing people and getting revenge ever since the beginning. And so figuring out what the thing is that would have triggered her to actually kill someone. I thought this was great. The setup of it. What would make her so upset and angry that she would just go do it? um, Right. And this this has been a really interesting progression because it's not like she's gone from zero to 60 on this killing thing you know I think there was a scene in season one where she sort of accidentally stabbed someone during all the chaos mm-hmm. at King's Landing and then of course she ordered Jack in to kill people but this is like the first time she was like I am going to kill you now and then did it and it wasn't just because uh her family had been killed it was because they had been disrespected too so it's kind mm-hmm. of like wow you know she's she's badass and scary and she was so smart to know that the way that she's approached other men in the past that she was angry at wouldn't work with these ones and she would have to trick them first well I thought she was the most cruel she stole the knife from the hound and then tricked the men I mean she seemed to be enjoying it it more than her being smart I thought it was a showing of cruelty 
can. There's also some other things going on that are a really nice bit of foreshadowing, and I'm not spoiling anything here, but the fact that she uses the coin that that guy mm. gave her to yeah, trick him. Yeah. I'm assuming um, we're going to see that land at some point. It's it's leading up to some stuff in the future, so it's all really tied together and about things that happen, you know, in later later probably next season. I don't know. Um, did, did she summon him? I was confused because she was turning the coin and saying the words. So no, that was no, just getting she, inspiration. Yeah, she's she's just that's like her totem now, and those are her. That's her mantra um that he taught her and and like i said it's it's going to end up leading her somewhere that i don't she doesn't know right now but but it's a very cool use of foreshadowing for her first kill to have that coin and say you know valar margolis and you know nicely done tv show great um, yeah it seemed like in the notes you'd said a lot that a lot of things that deviated from the book and i actually was very struck by that because you know speaking from a place of ignorance I don't know and so I assume most things are close to the book but it seemed like most things in this finale were not in line with the books well they're not in line in kind of subtle ways and for the most part it's great because I feel like they're pushing the story along faster and they're giving people better motivation for what's happening so while they're not changing the overall arc of the story they're kind of rearranging the chess pieces a little bit but I think it all works just fine um, I, Brienne, I don't think goes back to King's Landing in the books, but I love that she's in King's Landing because there is great opportunities there. And um, the other sort of subtle departure is the scene with Varys and Shay, where Varys is paying her off to get out of town, basically. And I'm I'm pretty convinced that that comes from Varys, not from Tyrion. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I didn't I didn't buy her little tell. He can tell him herself. I was like, I don't think Varys is just somebody's errand boy, like helping them get break up with their girlfriend. I don't no, buy it. <laughs> I don't think that's what's going on. <laughs> but interestingly, Varys in his little speech says something that's never articulated in the books, but I think everyone sort of thinks it, which is that Tyrion is the guy who's smart enough to kind of save the kingdom you know right. he's the guy who's who who there's like a chance that something good might come out of it with him and that, that's never really articulated um but so it's interesting that he kind of says it up front to shay and and basically you need to get lost if that's going to happen i agree that she needs to get lost her character has become completely tired cliched and annoying very annoying and what is this i will kill for sansa where does that come from i don't know I don't know. She they she started out so great and then just she has nothing to do. So I hope she does have to kill someone for Sansa because it would be great to see her do something besides whine about her boyfriend. So our our big scene in King's Landing, besides the anticlimactic Cersei Jamie reunion that annoyed me after all of my anticipation, um, was the news about the Starks reaching the small council. And the variety of reactions that we got to see from the various Lannisters, which I thought was, you know, whenever all these people are gathered around that table, you know it's going to be a good scene, basically. Oh, yeah. I was giddy. Um, I, I thought everybody was at their best. I mean, Tyrion on fire and Joffrey just being everybody's biggest little bitch ever. And then Tywin <laughs> telling him to go to bed without supper was just... <laughs> I'm not tired. Like, oh my god! I am the king. It was. They must have so much fun with his dialogue. The writers, seriously. Oh, 
I know that was that was really really beautiful. I was just like laughing. I couldn't stop laughing actually at that scene. That was just really great. And who wrote? Oh, Shannon, you wrote here. How long will Tywin tolerate him? Yeah, <laughs> I really man. wonder if he's gonna kill him because Joffrey's becoming more and more of a problem. And I wonder how long Tywin's gonna let him live because he could just kill him and take the power. I mean, everybody fears him not Joffrey. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think Tywin is interestingly really feeling his own mortality though. Cause he keeps mentioning, I have a limited time left, you know? And that's why he is just really hoping that Tyrion will knock up Sansa <laughs> so that Joffrey doesn't have to be the King. Right. Well, I really enjoyed the scene with Tyrion and Cersei too. I mean, those two actors are so incredible and they have these really wonderful moments of, honesty and almost tenderness together and I love when Cersei she can really deliver a monologue and she hasn't gotten that much to work with this season so it was nice yeah. I'm surprised actually that we didn't see Marjorie in this whole mess because that's another thing Tywin should be hoping for so that his legacy isn't completely relying on Joffrey is for them to get married and for them to have a kid I was really surprised we didn't see her or Lady Elena. I it's been a long time since we've seen either of them. I was actually pretty shocked. Yeah. There was a part of me that thought that the season finale would be their wedding. And I kept yeah. waiting and I was watching the clock and I'm like, hmm, 15 minutes left. I guess they're not going to get married <laughs> in this episode. Because um, I thought that's how they would end the season. But maybe that's how they'll begin next season. Yeah, it felt more of, you know, touching base with all the characters. I did like that more characters are in the same room together. I mean, we got um, Janie, Jamie and Brienne back in King's Landing. We've got Sam and Gilly um, meeting, you know, with Bran. And now we've got Sam and Jon Snow back together. It's like people are, you know, I mean, Daenerys is still in her own series of books. I don't know when she's going to join the main story, but you know. I hope soon because it's jarring to cut over to her and they keep shoving it into just the last 15 minutes of the show. Like they don't know where else to put her storyline. Right. And it really would be nice to at least hear someone talk a little bit more about the Targaryens. Like they get mentioned briefly in like historical lessons every three episodes and that's about it. Yeah, I think that's a real, that seems to be a real issue. I'm really feeling it, that she's like off in her own narrative and there's so little connection between the two. And even, even you know, getting news about what's going on with her and people going, oh, that's a joke, you know. But now mm -hmm. that the dragon's done its thing, I think people are should, really should be already hearing about the fact that there are these three badass dragons flying around incinerating slavers and... Whatnot. Yeah, that seems like big news, right? Like multiple yeah. slave cities falling at the hands of dragons. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know. Well, I just have to say the feminist in me had an interesting take on the, you know, on the Daenerys storyline when she's giving this speech, which I kind of have to say every scene with her this season is her standing up on something, giving a speech to a group of people with the, mm -hmm. you know, with the men behind her. That's literally been almost every shot. Uh, mm -hmm. But I I was interesting because we've heard a lot of the these kings give speeches and it's always about revenge, pride, family. What's her speech about? Freedom. And you have freedom inside of you. I mean, she is the activist. She is 
fighting for something that is deeper than something selfish. Yeah. I wish the show would be a little more nuanced with that, though, because I actually thought that the, this final scene kind of made me cringe. It was like, here's your ultimate Aryan savior right. <laughs> standing in yeah. front of a crowd of like 100,000 brown people who magically all have the same personality and have all like communicated via osmosis that they all see this as their new savior mother. It was very weird to me. Yeah, it was weird. Um, I agree. Actually, it's is a case when what like if you when you see it on TV, it is so much weirder to look at than to read about. Yeah, um, I could I could feel really that. bothered me. I don't think they need to like they just need to dial it back a little bit. They could they didn't have to have her yelling at this crowd who I was even sitting there going, "There's no way they can hear her on the be on the third row," you know. <laughs> like right. they could have some ambassadors come to talk to her and have them be like real characters the way that they're almost doing with like uh, Grey Worm and her assistant. Mm -hmm. I can never remember like they're they're. I can feel that maybe they'll get there with those characters but I guess these slaves are just going to be the masses and we're not going to get to know anything more about like uh, their history their mindset anything like that I think the only shot we needed was the aerial shot to just show how many people are following her that's really all we needed also if there's no dragon incinerating people at the end of her speech it just doesn't have the same oomph, you know. No. <laughs> all I'm going to say is that, you know, when people come in and free all the slaves, it's always a happy ending. And everyone <laughs> always gets along. And it all works out great. Right. I'm sure this won't have any, like, long-reaching economics or war implications at all. Not, none grand. whatsoever. Nothing bad will happen there. No. <laughs> Yeah, she's got to feed all those people now. Mm, she does. She has to feed them. And, and uh, you know, just because they were noble slaves doesn't mean they're going to be noble free people. So right. anyway. We'll see how it goes. But I just hope she just gets across that goddamn narrow sea because she needs to be in the same. It's it's just too much. It, it's been three seasons of her being in a different land. Yeah. Yeah, I'm curious about her storyline, especially in terms of how they might change it or accelerate it, because I think everyone is sort of feeling like, okay, time to come to Westeros. Yeah, it's 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 getting to the point where it's going to stop working. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, the only time she's probably ever even met an actor from the other lands is in that Entertainment Weekly photo <laughs> of Jon Snow. She's probably like, who the fuck are you? I thought you were on... Sons of Anarchy yeah. or something. Oh no! Okay. I thought that photo shoot was hilarious because at no point do they ever meet. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. I think they just picked the best looking people. Like, well, it's oh. also a song of ice and fire, and they represent right. ice and fire, and they're at the two most distant points in the story. Yeah. Well, I did have to say I loved Egret shooting some arrows at Jon Snow. <laughs> Because that's like every girl's breakup fantasy. Yeah, and fuck <laughs> you. <laughs> I so. love you, but we can't be together. Well, then. <laughs> Let's see what you think of it. <laughs> yeah, that was a good scene. Um, I am, like, it's good to see him reunited with the people at the wall. But, I mean, it's sort of related to 
the thing with Daenerys is like the more we get into the White Walker storyline, the more I'm like, this is a different world from what's going on. Yeah. The Lannisters and the Starks and company, you know, so it was nice to see some of the characters meet up again, definitely, because otherwise it really feels so far removed. Right. But we might see that start to shift because with the Starks, you know, being eliminated, basically, maybe the the power of the narrative is going to shift to this White Walker war. Yeah. Well, I don't, the Starks aren't actually eliminated. I mean, you've got Sansa, you've got Arya, you've got Bran, you've got Rickon, and you've got Jon Snow, who is essentially a Stark. But so they're, they're all actually... children without real power. You know what I mean? It's There's not an army. There's not a king. Yeah. That's, That's true. I mean. The threat yeah. of the Starks taking the throne is essentially eliminated for the time being. I yeah, can conceivably see, like, if Bran gets a hold of his powers and all these, like, countrymen who are going to be very angry about what happened to their representatives uh, at the Twins, if they find out Bran's really alive and he's a wizard, I can see the army reforming. <laughs> you know? Sure. But I think we're a little ways away from that. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Then, like, you know, season 17 or whatever. So Yeah. <laughs> I, I have this image of Bran attending Hogwarts, Hogwarts School of beyond the wall right? he could use a broomstick that'd be so awesome i think that'd be great <laughs> hodor is working too hard hodor is like um you know what's his name oh god hagrid. yeah hodor is, hodor is like hagrid and then you've got his two buddies hermione and um Ron, yeah totally Ron. It's so <laughs> Harry Potter. How did I not oh, even I? see this? <laughs> anyway, what I was going to say was, there. it's interesting because you were saying the White Walkers are sort of isolated in one one place. and But this is sort of the dynamic. And this is why I like the opening credits, because you see this geography. You've got Daenerys and her dragons and mounting an army way the fuck at one end of this world. And then you've got the White Walkers massing with their armies of the dead um, to to breach the wall. So you've got these two different forces coming at Westeros, and people, for the most part, are kind of oblivious to both. Right. Yeah. Right. They're just not – they have their own petty little infights and squabbling. And they just really aren't paying attention to these huge, (laughs) gigantic forces of ice and fire coming at them from two separate ends of the realm, which I think is a really interesting way of looking at all of this. Totally. Well, I'm super excited for next season. I have no, I have no idea what the fuck's going to happen. I'm going to, I'm going to recuse myself. Yeah, I, I was excited because I had I have cheated a little bit and looked at what the Theon storyline is in the books because I hated it so much. Um, so I'm excited that they seem to be deviating in bringing his sister back in for some more Lady Vengeance. Yay! Lady Vengeance! Well, when you receive a dick in the box, it's not as exciting as <laughs> SNL made it seem. <laughs> Has anyone oh, made a dick in the box joke? Oh, poor Theon. Um, eh. Who cares? Eh. You know, so I see. I think we'll see that storyline go somewhere. Uh, I certainly hope that we see Stannis and company, if we have to see them at all, get the fuck off of that rock because nobody cares. 
that little thing where they're like, oh, Rob Stark is dead now and our plan is going well. I'm like, the Lannisters think they won the war. Like, no one even knows you're still here, Stannis. (laughs) You are so pathetic. And what, I mean, the only really good scene with Melisandre the whole episode, the whole season is when she gets away from that rock and the interaction she has with Arya. She's yeah. boring too there. It's like whatever's happening in that space is sucking the life out of everybody. Yep. Redecorate. Get out. Do something. <laughs> Jeez. I mean, I have no idea where all of this is going, so we'll see. Therese can't say. Ways. So we will just we will just wait until next March. It's just, you know, it's sad because my life is better with Game of Thrones in it so I hate to wait that long but it's always worth the wait every season is highly enjoyable and it's a lot of fun to talk about with people so I can't wait yeah I can't believe it's going to be another year that's crazy is I it know. yeah yeah it always it's starts always... in March oh geez well we, we have two more we have two more episodes of Mad Men so a little bit more light before the darkness of summer reruns what did y'all think of this week's episode? Uh, I was pretty bored. <laughs> uh, yeah, I get I the damn East Coast feed of Twitter always gives away what people thought of this episode, and I saw a lot of like, "Damn, Mad Men does it again!" and I and uh, then I was a little underwhelmed. I thought there were some really well done scenes, but mm-hmm. I was expecting some something more major to happen. Um, not that this isn't major for Sally to have seen what happened, but it doesn't, yeah. see, it doesn't seem like it's going to go anywhere. It seems like she's going to keep her mouth shut and Dawn will have but, some more angst and there you go. The Dawn and Sylvia storyline is so played out. I cannot believe we're back in it again. It's like, oh, really, really? I know. Well, I, have I to just say, don't care. My absolute favorite scene from this episode of Mad Men and maybe my favorite in the whole season is when poor delusional Mrs. Campbell says to Peggy something about the baby that she and Pete uh-huh. had. <laughs> and the think look on your child. Yeah. Think of your child and the look on Peggy's face and I'm thinking that Chekhov's gun has been sitting there on the table for six seasons, right? and it is still <laughs> now it's in the hands of a power. crazy woman. Exactly, uh-huh. the crazy woman has the baby gun. Shit! <laughs> yeah. I just think that that is that it's so potent after so many years mm-hmm. that her saying that is still so powerful. I just love it. I can't wait. I can't. I wait. mean, how do you really think the information would come out, though? Because obviously this was just a moment of delusion on her part, thinking that Peggy was Trudy. I mean, I, I do. I agree with you that I think that bringing it back at this point means that at some point it's going to be more significant. But I just I'm not quite clear how yet. It was followed by a quite intimate conversation between Peggy and Pete. I mean, they were quite, yeah. you know, being nice to each other and, and really like kind of old frenzy. And um, I don't know. Yeah, it was a great scene. Well, her and Pete and uh, Ted, that whole scene was great. And I have to say, Peggy just looked radiant. Mm-hmm. Right. I have a theory that those three people are, are all not happy with the old dawn and roger lot Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. 
I don't know if this merger is going to last forever, but when I saw the scene of all three of them at the table, I was like, they're going to splinter these people off into their own company. And I've been thinking this for a while. And especially if Ted and Peggy become romantically enmeshed, he's going to flip his shit if he finds out, if they start a company together and he finds out that they had a baby together. Mm -hmm. That's my theory. I don't disagree that that's a thing that could happen, but I it's not a thing I want to happen. Any more splintering of the company. You know, we've already had two seasons in a row where a, a split or a merger was the core story. And any more on that front, I just feel like it's going to be overkill. Right. Uh, I just have to say, I'm pretty disappointed with this season. I've been thinking about it. I read like all the reviews of this last episode and people that were excited about it, I think, were wishing for the old Mad Men, the less crazy drug-fueled Mad Men, which the crazy drug-fueled Mad Men is the only thing that's really been interesting to me about this season. It's been a lot of characters spinning around in circles, a lot of Sylvia, and I've been a little bored. I've I've enjoyed a lot of stuff about this season, but I, I do think the forward momentum is in a weird place right now because the most interesting stuff is the business-related stuff, and yet where else are they going to go with this besides more strife, more splitting, something like that? You know, what can they do that they haven't already done in an ad agency that is really interesting? The main thing is this thing about whether the women can come up in the company and I feel like they have done some really interesting things with that this season, but not nearly enough, not nearly what they could do. Well, it's weird that we didn't see Joan at all or Avon calling, which that was the driving force in the episode prior. That was really weird. Yeah. Well, that, that bodes well for the last two episodes, which means Joan will probably be in them. So right, that mm -hmm. means she, she will have something more important to do with that story yeah i wonder too oddly whether we'll see a lot a little bit more of secretary dawn because i've noticed in the last few episodes that she she there's always one or two scenes of her whereas for a while there she disappeared and we didn't necessarily see her even doing the like here's your briefcase right mr Trevor. and she seems to really understand don and his needs in this very subtle way so i hope that his little breakdown might lead to something interesting for her to do to you know maybe cover for him or I don't I don't know but that's another character I would like to see more of that I feel like they're wasting she her line in every episode is good morning Mr. Draper coffee uh-huh right. uh-huh that's her line but, she but the very else? fact that it's happening in every episode is I don't know almost a signal to me that that there's some importance to her constant presence but I could be reading into it. Okay. Yeah. I, I did think that when Don, you know, after Sally discovers him and he's in the elevator and he's in the lobby, I mean, he looked like such shit. I thought he was going to have a heart attack there and he was pacing around the space where the premiere, where that guy had had the heart attack and mm -hmm. it seemed like he was thinking about it. And I mean, that's the most, shitty I've seen Don look I feel like in a long time like he needs to start swimming and journaling again he's looking bad <laughs> that's how he looks when Dick Whitman stuff happens you know right. it's like how he looked when his brother killed himself and You're right. stuff. Mm -hmm. oh 
Yeah. Well, he knew he crossed the line with Sally. And, I mean, his bullshit talking to her like she was a little kid, like she didn't understand. I mean, we're going to see her acting out big time, and I cannot wait. (laughs) About time for some more Kieran and Shipka in this season. You make me sick. Yes. (laughs) He makes us all sick. (laughs) I think Sally needs to lose her virginity to Mitchell Rosen. Isn't she only, like, 13? She's so young. That would be the ultimate fuck you to her father. Right. Yeah. Wait, how how young is she? Is she that young? I think she's, she's, only, I think she's only like 13, yeah. 13 or 14. Sorry, never mind. <laughs> but all of her friends are like every mother's worst nightmare. I mean, God. <laughs> she picks the worst friends. Horrible. Great. <laughs> Such bad influence. Um. So should we talk about Mrs. Campbell and her... Uh, her own sexual escapades. My God. Let the uh, lady have a, an imagined orgasm. Come on. Yeah, I mean, we agree that this has got to be in her head, right? Do we all agree on that? That's what I think. I think I don't so, think it's really because, happening. I mean, Manolo seems very gay, and Bob Benson pretty much confirmed that, so. Well, just because Manolo's gay doesn't mean he wouldn't still be able to take advantage of an old woman in a physical way. I, I don't think that precludes it, but right. my sense of it is that it's really happening in her head. Which, what a great fantasy when your life is old and sad. I mean, come on. Sure. Retreating to a fantasy world where you have a hot Latin lover who kisses your hand and calls you my sweet. Pete was a sour little child and he's a sour man. And I just think... He's so judgmental, like he's weirdly liberal about race, but then he's very judgmental about sexual stuff, even though he's more of a deviant than she is. Oh, he's the worst. Uh Bob Benson. Oh, Bob Benson. I mean, he raped, he raped a woman in his home. Yeah, that nanny, that au pair. Yeah, I mean, he has no ground to stand on of judgment, and he's constantly judged his father-in-law because he chose a negro you know what the fuck (laughs) he raped a woman i'll just keep saying it no he he just complicated but but like how okay first of all bob benson is gay wow stop the presses that's like the most interesting outcome i could ever think of (laughs) there's got to be something more right as as delightful as i find the idea of fabulous joan having a cute little gay friend to go to the beach with her totally There's got to be something else to Bob Benson, right? Because we've already seen this with Sal and done better and more interesting, you know? Right. So there's, there's, exactly. this has to be like the red herring revelation. I can't believe that we've put up with Bob all season just to find <laughs> out that he likes dick. No one cares. Well, <laughs> and, and Pete's dick, come on. <laughs> I mean, we've said it before. There's no way Pete Campbell is good in bed. So no. Game no. higher, Bob. What is You're happening? Cute. I don't know what's happening. I, I, I had a very hard time swallowing the whole Bob has a crush on Pete Campbell. I bet you had a hard time swallowing it. But all that dick news. <laughs> Tom and Lorenzo were saying that this story is different from Saul because Saul was super closeted where it seems like Bob Benson is, you know, circulating in gay circles that he knew Manolo. So... There is, he just has this secret, but he's not closeted. In the same way, yeah. Hmm. 
Well, they also had that that guy who was gay in the office who was Peggy's uh, best gay boyfriend. Remember? Yeah, and they had yeah, and they had Peggy's lesbian friend. So like, I mean, this kind of comes in sometimes. Yeah. I don't know what more they are going to do with it. But. Yeah. And I don't think anyone's going to care that Bob Benson is gay, frankly. Can, can you see, like, Roger giving a shit? I can't. No. He'll um, just just be as long like, as he's oh, not good. Japanese. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He'll make some quip about it, and then I'll be like, what? It's no big deal. My cousin's gay or something, you know? He He could care less what people do so long as they do their job, you know, so that he right. doesn't have to work it harder. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> I loved uh, I loved Peggy propositioning Stan over the phone <laughs> to try to get him to come kill the rat, and oh, her like well. in that flowery nightgown, like almost doing like a little sexy hip jut to try to get herself to say it. <laughs> it's like the whole thing was just <laughs> classic. Those two have the funniest little friendship. All right. Well, what is everybody's one fabulous thing? Okay, I want to recommend a show that is currently available on Netflix streaming. It's only five episodes long because it's a British show that just just aired. They, like, simultaneously had it on Netflix, which I thought was pretty cool. It's called The Fall. It stars Gillian Anderson as a high-level lady investigator cop in Belfast, um, Mm. who is probably the most badass lady character I've seen since Patty Hughes. I mean, she's just like... She does her job well. She sleeps with who she wants to. And when somebody finds out she, like, slept with someone, she's like, what of it? She's basically just, like, anti-slut-shaming left and right. And um. it, is a, it is a serial killer show, which I I debated not watching it because I'm kind of over the serial killer thing. But I like what this show does with it. It's not about, like, a genius who would be an artist if only he wasn't evil, which I feel like is a trend. <laughs> Yeah. And it's not bloody or trying to shock you, but it shows the kills in a way where the victims are really people. They're not just clues in a mystery. Like you get to know them and you feel their horror when this happens to them, which I feel like uh, a lot of shows don't take that part of actual killing seriously. And um, Jillian Anderson's character, Stella Gibson, takes them really seriously too, to the point where there's this great scene where they're writing a press release about the victims and she says she doesn't want them they're all like really professional respectable women and she says don't call them innocent because it just plays into the like madonna whore thing and then if he kills a prostitute next people will compare her and say she wasn't innocent and i was like oh my god like they're really getting into some stuff that a lot of shows gloss over about you know, victim, women's victimization. And she says about the serial killer guy, she's like, this isn't some genius. He's just a misogynist. He's going to make a mistake and I'm going to kill him. Like, basically. Awesome. Oh my God, I need <laughs> to watch this right so now. Good. So good. Yeah, I really enjoyed the first series. It's already been renewed for a second series. So check it out. I've been hearing a lot of good things. So I'm glad you watched it to confirm. And of course, you know, I've just been on this uh, rampage of watching damages. So I'll just continue my badass lady streak. (laughs) Okay, well, my one fabulous thing was the Tony Awards this week, which were really great. And now that I've already confessed my show tune, love of show tunes. um, But here was the great thing about the Tonys. Both directing awards went to women. Best play and best musical. Both directed by women, best score won by a woman. 
Cindy Lauper, by the way. Awesome. Women of Color won acting awards. Oh, and, wow. Um, it was it was just a really and nobody was smarmy and gross and misogynistic and what a difference from the Oscars I can't even tell you. Um, it was just a great show and it was just so great seeing woman after woman come up on stage producers female producers of the winning shows. So it was great and there's this really hilarious little little number that Neil Patrick Harris does with people who's who are on Broadway whose TV shows have been canceled on TV. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> If you're a geek like me, you will enjoy watching Megan Hilty, Anthony Rennells, and Laura Benanti singing about being on canceled TV shows. That's Aww. great. You can catch it on CBS.com, and I'm sure that there is lots of clips on YouTube. Um, well, mine is not really um, serious or extremely artistic, but highly entertaining, <laughs> which is uh, Adam Scott has directed two shorts for Adult Swim called The Greatest the greatest event in TV history. And there's one with John Hamm and one with Amy Poehler. And what they're doing is recreating frame by frame uh, the opening credits to Simon and Simon, <laughs> heart by heart, uh, which are two 80s sitcoms, <laughs> two 80s TV shows. And, but they have, it's very like Christopher Guest style where they have like, it's almost like a mockumentary about the making of it. So the Simon and Simon one with John Hamm is awesome because um, Adam Scott's like a huge fan of John Hamm, but John Hamm's like a total dick to him and like won't talk <laughs> to him. And they just look like they're having so much fun. But the one with Amy Poehler is absolutely incredible because it's like they hate each other and then they have to have like an intervention and then it works. And then you see the whole thing and then they play the original of the show and it's pretty amazing frame by frame exact thing so highly yeah. check it How out these guys have so much time like so much time on their hands to do these comedy oh videos. my god it's so much time um <laughs> you know and it's interesting about john ham is he actually hangs out with a lot of comedians and at a lot of comedy clubs and stuff but he is this dramatic actor so right seeing him do some comedy but uh you know, it's like 20 minutes total between the two things, and they're really fun. So I check them out. Well, everyone, this has been another episode of Damsels in Discussion. We would love to hear from you. Check us out on all of our many, many social media enterprises on Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter. All of them have the words damsel and discuss in them. And um, we will see you next week. Thanks for listening. Made her catch you? I don't know how I let this happen. But who? The girl next door, you know? Uh, I don't know what to do. So it wasn't you. Alright.